Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, thanks for being here. It's the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, and we are still dishing out our highly prestigious Three Martini Lunch Awards for the year 2020. If you were with us yesterday, we went through the best idea, worst idea, and boldest tactic of 2020. And as we said at the end of yesterday's edition, Jim, today we're going to be talking about the media, meaning in this edition, we're going to look at the most overreported story, most underreported story, and the best story of 2020. We're brought to you today by the Jordan Harbinger Show. So, Jim, let's uh, go to a category that the media knows plenty about, covering things way too much. But what was the most overreported story of 2020? So, I had to double check to make sure that this event actually occurred in 2020. And I know it's tough because, <laughs> you know, this, this year has been a tough decade. I believe that, yes, technically we're in December, but it really feels more like the 232nd day of March. Um, but, yes, so do you believe impeachment occurred this year, Greg? <laughs> and here's the thing that I think really make, puts it in perspective. If I went down the street and I asked the average Democrat or the average progressive or even the average you know, non-democratic Trump hater, and I said, list off the 10 worst things Trump has done in the last 16 months. He'd probably say pandemic stuff. He'd probably say after election stuff, saying it was hacked and, and you know, he might, you know, um, pardons, you know, there'd be a long list. I don't know if they would get to the phone call with the Ukrainian leader that set off the entire impeachment process. I think even the most, few, I think even Rachel Maddow would probably agree with us that the president's phone call doesn't even crack the top 10 worst things he's done this year, which kind of makes the impeachment look silly, or at least impeachment for that particular reason, looks silly. Um, this isn't entirely on the media. It was partially on the decision of uh, House Democrats to go ahead with this, uh, their belief that this really mattered. The signals were always very clear that Senate Republicans were never going to abandon the, 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 uh, the president. The only one who ended up supporting any of the uh, articles of impeachment was Mitt Romney. It's interesting that that occurred in January and February, and there had been some thought that maybe, you know, that this, they weren't going to go ahead with this. And it was, you know, we kept hearing the, the you know, the gavel to gavel coverage on cable news and that this is history in the making and stuff. And I don't think the impeachment is going to rank on the top 10 biggest news items of 2020. Obviously, the pandemic is front and center. Obviously, the development of the vaccine is front and center. Obviously, the economic crisis. You know, like when we go back and we think about 2020, we're not going to think about the impeachment. It is an absolute afterthought to what things are. And I think uh, even in the history of the Trump presidency, I'm not sure that impeachment is going to be one of the more significant chapters. It, it, it's really strange. In a very strange way, the pressuring of the Ukrainian leader hoping to find dirt on Hunter Biden, I mean, Sooner or later, we found there was an FBI investigation going on on Hunter Biden. So obviously, the president's interest in this was not as, you know, cockamamie a, a, a belief uh, as some might have expected. So, you know, in the end, um, it's kind of been overtaken by history, overtaken by much more consequential events. But I think the hype around an impeachment effort that was always destined to fail and that never had a chance of persuading many Republicans counts as the most overreported story of 2020. 
No, that's a great, it's a great choice because I mean, you're right. It's almost a total afterthought at this point, but I still remember like every twist and turn was just uh, with bated breath. You had the, the eight to 10 person panels on CNN. They, they dragged Carl Bernstein out of mothballs to tell you for the 150,000th time that Trump was worse than Watergate. And, uh, and then I remember there was going to be a vote. It was the night before a vote on whether to bring witnesses before the, the Senate. And there were still a couple of Republicans who hadn't officially said what they were going to do. And one of them was Lamar Alexander. And uh, Carl Bernstein uh, on CNN comes out and says, he has a chance to be a real hero here. And uh, I mean, there's still, I mean, I don't know what they thought was going to happen if they brought John Bolton forward or anybody else. I mean, the idea that you were going to get, what, do you need 20? I think you needed 20 Republicans uh, to flip on this. It was just obviously never going to happen. And uh, it was just after everything that had happened with the Russia story that turned out to be non-collusion and realized pretty quickly in the Mueller investigation, uh, the American people, I think a lot of them just rolled their eyes on this. Uh, they could do the math in their head. It was a non-starter from the get-go. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that very few votes in 2020 had anything to do with the impeachment uh, of uh, President Trump. So, uh, Jim, my overrated uh, story, overcovered story of uh, 2020, it could probably be summed up uh, as anything that could be spun as bad for Trump. That's kind of how uh, the media functions. But I'll pick one in particular, and it's, uh, it's coverage of COVID with two subsets on this. So think of this as a little bit of an outline. Number one, the media's constant efforts to put Trump and Fauci at loggerheads. And there probably were uh, plenty of conversations behind closed doors where they were. But Fauci said plenty of times uh, that you know, just about every recommendation that was brought up by him or Dr. Burks that the, that the president went forward with, especially in those uh, early months of the pandemic. And so that uh, ideas that they were butting heads and that Trump was about to fire Fauci uh, just weren't true. Now, later in the year, uh, Trump made a, a hint that that might change if he had won re-election, but uh, it, it didn't happen. And so there was so much media oxygen spun up in that. Another one was when Trump uh, suggested that there was promising results from COVID patients being given hydroxychloroquine. Now, I'm not sure he necessarily went forward with that in the, the best possible way, but uh, the media was gleefully, gleefully looking for examples where it didn't work so the president could be proven wrong in their estimation. They were almost happy to see that people were not getting better with this medication because it would help advance the narrative. And as it turned out with more you know, nuanced study, if you did give it to people early on after infection, it was usually very, very effective. Later on, if you gave it to them after it was fairly advanced, not so much. But the idea that uh, because Trump pushed it, it had to be demonized uh, is definitely one of the low moments of this uh, media environment in 2020. And uh, another one I might just throw on the pile there is uh, when they were horrified that uh, Qasem Soleimani was killed, uh, even though he was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American forces. And somehow World War III was about to start for about 48 hours there, Jim. That didn't happen either. That's a good point, Greg, that a lot of our overreported stories were overreported and then they disappeared. Yes. And if there are no lasting impacts, then there's a good chance that maybe it was overreported. Exactly. Exactly. So you got to think about these things. And the media just likes to just jump in there and figure out uh, how their uh, narrative can be advanced. And this was a year where you really needed to put that stuff aside. I mean, it was going to be part of the campaign, 
But when you got a pandemic, it doesn't need to be politicized. And a lot of different people politicized it. But I think the media politicized it uh, more than anyone. So you need to think clearly. And that's where the Jordan Harbinger Show can also help you out. Uh, it's a, kind of a different sponsor for our podcast. But a lot of people find it well worth listening to. Apple named the Jordan Harbinger Show one of its best in 2018. And quite simply, it's aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening even inside your own brain, something the media oftentimes, way too often, doesn't want you to actually do. <laughs> you know, there's an episode for everyone, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. That's how you know you're having a bad day. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. You know, there are episodes on all kinds of topics from uh, how to change anyone's mind with Jonah Berger. Um, I thought he wasn't true. And then he changed my mind on it. Uh, <laughs> or the cyber war on America's elections with Harry Hursty. Boy, does that seem relevant at a time like this. Yeah, the podcast covers a lot, but one constant is Jordan's ability to pull useful pieces of advice from guests that other people don't seem to be able to get. You'll find something you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity, and we all appreciate that, or just a slight mindset tweak that really changes how you see the world. So for more, go to jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Jim, our media critique is not done yet. What's the most underreported story of 2020? Yeah, I should emphasize most underreported story doesn't mean most underreported by me. Uh, dear <laughs> listeners, the question about the origin of where SARS-CoV-2 came from, that, that, that question didn't go away. We didn't discover it. and You just didn't see the story. It just seems like people just kind of lost interest, or at least the mainstream press seemed to lose interest. I don't know if we're going to know. You may recall early in the year that I was doing some very long and thankfully very high-trafficked uh, articles looking into the trail leading back to the Wuhan labs. Um, I think that the natural origin explanation has some curious aspects to it. Uh, quick review. You can find very similar viruses in horseshoe bats. They are found in China, but not in Wuhan. They're found like a couple hundred miles away. Uh, could it be natural? There's really no explanation that this is part of, you know, natural migration patterns or something like that. Um, the Chinese government came out and said it was not the Hunan seafood market that was the origin point for the, uh, the outbreak. Uh, it's possible somebody got it, then went to the market and spread it to other people at the market. Um, but they didn't find it in any of the animal carcasses they tested. Um, whole bunch of the people who are among the first patients, they couldn't trace back to the Huanan seafood market. So the idea, you know, very early on, we just kind of got this, this idea that, you know, the explanation, was, oh, somebody probably ate bat soup. And yes, there is an illegal animal trade of both bats and pangolins in wet markets in China. But as far as anyone can tell, there was no consumption or serving of bats and, or pangolins at this market. Yes, it involves illegal animal trade and, and things like this. And so it's possible this is all being hidden. No one would necessarily want to confess it. But look, if there's anything I have faith in the Chinese government's ability, it's the ability to beat a confession out of somebody. 
Um, all in all, could it have been some natural migration? Somebody goes into a cave, a farmer looking to collect guano for fertilizer, they catch it and they don't realize they get it because 40% of people are asymptomatic. Yeah, that could happen. But you really have to play the telephone game of getting from someplace in, in part of China where you find these caves and you find these bats, getting it to Wuhan. On the other hand, you've got two, not one, but two laboratories in the city that are researching coronaviruses found in bats. And yet we happen to have the, you know, this is where we have our first major outbreak of a novel coronavirus that is similar to that found in bats. Look, you probably, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me make, make this point probably, you know, so many times you may be sick of it. If there was, God forbid, a really terrible viral outbreak of a new kind of virus outside in Fort Detrick, Maryland, people would say, hmm, I wonder if it has something to do with that base. If it happened in Atlanta, people would be going, hmm, I wonder if the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has something to do with this. I don't think you're a paranoid conspiracy theorist if you look at this and wonder if China, this was some sort of accidental lab. There's no evidence this was genetically engineered. There's no evidence this is a bioweapon. There's no evidence this was deliberately released. But if you subscribe to Occam's Razor, either one of these two labs, which, oh, by the way, I've had questions about safety protocols and whether the staff is properly trained and whether everybody is uh, perfectly ca careful every time. I mean, it just takes one mistake and somebody could get it. And particularly... If it's, if it's, you know, it's, it's uniformly accurate that 40% of the people uh, don't never develop symptoms. It's possible somebody has an accident and never knows it. And that person goes out, interacts with other people, goes to the market, goes someplace else, and that is how this pandemic gets set off. We're not, we're, my guess is we're never going to know. If there ever was evidence of this, the Chinese government has probably erased it a long time ago. There is a, according to you know, at least some information pointing to the possibility that some people in these labs just disappeared. Could well have died from the virus for all we know. But there's, you know, this, this is a, a theory uh, that has never really been given the full um, assessment that I think it deserves. It got prematurely dismissed. A lot of people went with this really implausible and frustrating argument that the Chinese labs are just too professional to ever have an accident like this. Folks, the original SARS was accidentally released from the Beijing Center for Disease Control back in the 2000s twice. Right. You have bad accidents at the CDC in Atlanta. You have bad accidents at the Russian labs. Look, labs are staffed by human beings. Human beings are going to make mistakes. They do their very best and they try to follow safety protocols all the time, but people are going to make mistakes. So I'm open to that possibility. And as 2020 turns into 2021, I find it mind boggling that there has not been a thorough one. Good news, the World Health Organization put its investigation team together last month. They're right on it. Let me tell you, Greg, you know, November. <laughs> you know. Uh, and of course, I'm sure they'll get full cooperation from the Chinese and I'm sure they'll be, you know, asking tough questions, yada, 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 you know, um, kind of maddening. This was a big story for a portion of the year, but we didn't get any answers and everybody just kind of shrugged and decided to move on with life, even though I think there's a good possibility uh, either of a lab accident. Even if you don't subscribe to the lab accident, for three weeks, for a minimum of three weeks, the Chinese government told everybody this was non-contagious. We are in the mess we're in, in large part because of the actions of the Chinese government. And that strikes me as the most underreported story of the year. Yes, and remember what happened when anybody tried to bring it up. If you called it the China flu or the Wuhan flu or the China virus, like the president constantly did, you were a racist, you were a xenophobe, uh, you know, just by using the name, not necessarily even uh, demeaning anyone in China for it. We've got, we talked about the comparisons to the Spanish flu. Nobody's talking about how that's demeaning to Spanish people. Uh, Ebola's named after a river in Africa. You usually name major viruses after the region where it emanates from, but apparently here in 
the woke uh, 2020, uh, the media's got to get on board with demonizing anybody who actually points out a simple fact. <sighs> All right, my choice, my choice for uh, underreported story of 2020, the riots. Jim, uh, there were lots of protests, obviously, in many American cities after uh, the death of George Floyd in police custody. It was right around Memorial Day. By the end of that week, uh, Minneapolis was on fire, and it spread to so many different cities. Seattle, Portland, Washington, uh, New York, Atlanta. I mean, it was all over the country. Uh, but after the first few days uh, had reporters showing things on fire and, and all sorts of vandalism done, and, and in some cases, uh, people injured, very quickly after that, all you heard about was the protests, even though the vandalism, the destruction, and the assaults were still happening, uh, including assaults on police officers and police property. Uh, you had the burning down of the precinct in Minneapolis and elsewhere. And because the Democrats weren't saying anything about it for months until their poll numbers started to tail off in, uh, in August, uh, the media decided they're not going to talk about it either. It was only a Don Lemon right around the time of the Republican convention saying, you know, Democrats uh, probably ought to mention this because their poll numbers are dropping. But it's all about the narrative. The narrative was, was that America was systemically racist from stem to stern, every institution, every part of our society from Mount Rushmore, for heaven's sake, uh, all the way down to uh, our schools and our offices and everything else. Everything had to be uprooted and, and changed because America was racist to the core. Uh, that in itself was absurd. And buying into that is probably part of the overreported story of 2020. But then at the same time, they're just ignoring all of this violence, uh, whether it's in deep in the inner city, or these crazy people out in uh, Portland uh, constantly rioting every night for weeks and months on end and hardly getting any coverage whatsoever if it weren't for social media, most of us would probably not even know about it. But it was damaging to the left and especially in an election year and therefore we must never utter it unless the Democrats decide to bring it up. And then you praise Joe Biden for the one or two sentences uh, in which he condemned the violence. It was a ridiculous double standard. And I think one of the media's worst performances on an issue in a very long time. Greg, uh, this is a rare moment of disagreement, but I, I am offended and horrified by the broad brush you are painting these <laughs> events with. I paid attention to the news this year and I was thoroughly assured, Greg, that these were mostly peaceful riots. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, Jim, what is the best story? There had to be something. What's the best story of 2020? Yeah. So in many ways, I, I was tempted to say, you know, Greg, this is such a miserable year that they didn't have a good, a best story or a good story. But I kind of I feel like the story of 2020 is the year 2020. Um, and this was a story in which our country and really our world was tested in a way that is really unlike anything from recent memory. It's different from, you know, the Great Recession was bad, but it's different. 9-11 was very bad, but that was different. The, the, the struggle of the Cold War, Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, we've been through 
a lot of hard times and a lot of challenges in our country, but this one was different on its scale and how it touched the lives of just about everybody. And you see, you know, it's also the Irish, how much they kind of were interrelated. I mean, you look at, you know, people guys, what do you, what, what was bad about 2020? People are going to say, well, there was a pandemic. Uh, and because of the pandemic, there was an economic crash and the economic, the poor state of the economy and the lockdowns, that was undoubtedly a factor in the riots and the arsoning and the unrest we saw. And I don't know how that ties in, but this is also a year in which we had murder hornets and Adam Gase. So one disaster atop another in this country. And if you're looking for like the best story, I think the fact is that we have been through this giant testing. And as of the time of this recording, the Republic is still standing. Um, we've, we've lost some people. We have been challenged. We've been through hard times. But the country endures. The country goes on. Um, democracy is intact. The Constitution is intact. We probably like a bunch of the people we have in office, and we probably don't like a bunch of the people we have in office. If you're like us, you probably feel pretty good, good about the state of the Supreme Court right now. We're a flawed country. We're a flawed society. We've got some big problems about it. There's no two ways about that. But this year through about as many difficult and varied challenges as us, as any other time in our history. And we got through it. Maybe we didn't get through it with flying colors. Maybe we went through a lot of people who uh, did not respond <laughs> by bringing out their best. There was a lot of opportunism this year. There were a lot of people who were eager to, uh, uh, to, to take advantage of the divisions, take advantage of their powers of office, take advantage of bad situations happening to others. Greg, if I live to be 100, I will never want to hear again in these trying times at the start of any commercial ever again. But if you're listening to this podcast, you got through the year. And I think you should feel good about this. And I feel like we as a country, for all of our challenges, for all of our problems, for all the times we stumbled, we got through something that tested us and could have made, could, this, could, this could have turned out much, much worse and it didn't because of what was right about America. So to me, that's the, story of, the best story of the year is that we've gotten through 2020 and you know, the future hopefully brings something brighter and cheerier and better for all of us. Jim, that's a very optimistic note to, uh, to end this particular section with. Mine is largely in agreement with that, but probably more on a micro level. Because one of the things, and just to kind of keep this in the media bashing zone that we've been in all day, is that uh, no matter what the issue is, and it's, you know, they always framed it with Trump as the villain, at least in most cases, if they could find any sort of angle to do that, even if it didn't really relate to Trump. Uh, it was always pitting one side against the other. That's what the left does. That's what the media loves to do. You get a pit group against group and it gets really annoying. But when you live in the real world and you don't just stare at Twitter all day or watch cable news, but you actually spend time with your neighbors, uh, you realize that the image that's happening in the media is often not true. I live on a street where I know for sure the, the people across the street from me, the people down the street from me, they have very different political views than I do. We don't talk about politics a ton, but in a situation like this, uh, especially in, in cases where they have kids, you have kids, and you're trying to figure out how lockdown's going to work, and you kind of need that one or two other families uh, that you can get together with, uh, letting the kids play outside together, grabbing stuff at the store for each other, uh, just being there and thinking about other ways you can help people, whether it's in your immediate neighborhood or beyond. 
we saw a lot of that this year. It doesn't make headlines. And uh, it's always the people fighting over whether you're going to wear a mask or uh, whatever else the, the political fight of the day is. And those things matter. At least a lot of them matter. Some of them don't. Most Twitter fights don't. But uh, a lot of things that, that, that come up in a presidential campaign have enormous consequence and they can't be ignored. But also, you have a life to live and you see it in your neighborhood, you see it in your family, and there are people, regardless of their political persuasion, even if they know what it is, uh, they're gonna be there for you because you have a personal relationship with them and your relationship is not based on who you voted for or uh, what particular position you hold. And that's what we need to remember. Politics used to be this thing that people paid attention to, not 24 seven, but when uh, the big moments mattered and then you obviously went to go vote and then you kind of went back to your life and hope that the people you voted for actually did their jobs and when they don't, then you need to get more involved. But the reminder that the world is not as it appears in media or social media, I think was a big and good story this year. Well put, Greg, well put. All right, media, consider yourselves flunked this year. We'll see if you can do any better in 2021. Jim? Tomorrow, the final installment, person of the year, turncoat of the year, and our fearless predictions for 2021. Because, of course, after this last year, it's obvious we know exactly what's coming next year, right? Look, you know, it was a rebuilding year for media credibility, Greg. (laughs) Kind of like a rebuilding year for the Jets. It seems like they they seem to stack up a lot of these. Yeah, every year kind of. Kind of looks more the same, only worse. But uh, maybe they'll turn around next year. Of course, they won't have much criticism of the administration. So, except for the first, <laughs> except for the first twenty days, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll uh, then we'll go from there. So, Jim, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, uh, we are very grateful for those five-star ratings and those kind reviews. You can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Don't forget about the Jordan Harbinger show as well. Have a great day and join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.